Welcome to More, the podcast where Debbie will explore real-life applicable ways to get more out of your life. And here's Debbie. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to More. So excited to be back today. And I just really love reading these books and diving into them and thinking about them and sharing them with you. It helps me a lot. I'm so impressed with my student in my class, Bree, who has read this whole book, this whole Atomic Habits book. And um, what, how impressive that a 12, 11, 12-year-old 12 girl would do this. Super powerful. Um, one thing that I love about doing this these books on a slower pace is that I can do a podcast and then think about those things for the next two weeks or generally I do it opposite I I think about the things and then do the podcast but it just gives me a chance to think through those things and review them and think on them a long time and this book is so powerful I just every page is just so amazing so I'm pretty excited to finish this first chapter with you and I think I'm just going to finish the first chapter and then we'll do chapter two next time because um, there's a lot in here. And if it's just a little bit of a shorter podcast, that's fine with me. So um, page 20 in the book, it's called What Progress is Really Like is the next section in the book. And he talks about what if you were an ice cube and you're sitting in the table in the room and the room is 25 degrees. So at 25 degrees, the ice cube just sits there. Nothing happens at all. And then slowly, really slowly, the room heats up to 26, 27, 28. The ice cube still just sits on the table, 29, 30, 31. Nothing is happening. And then at 32 degrees, the ice begins to melt. And he says that a one-degree shift... Something seems so small. Literally, I mean, if you're in a room between 31 and 32, you can't tell the difference, right? Such a small change. But it unlocks a huge change in the ice. And the ice begins to melt. And he says breakthrough moments are often the result of many previous actions which build up the potential required to unleash a major change. He says this pattern shows up everywhere. I thought this was interesting. I didn't know some of these. Cancer spends 80% of its life undetectable. Then it takes over the body in months. He says bamboo, bamboo trees, can rarely be seen for the first five years of their existence. The first five years, it's building this extensive root system underground and then, in six weeks, the bamboo explodes into the air 90 feet. That's crazy. He says, similarly, similarly, habits often appear to make no difference at all until you cross a critical threshold and unlock a new level of performance. And I just think he's really nailing it on the head. He says, in the early or middle stages of whatever you want to accomplish especially the early stages, even the middle stages. He said there's called the Valley of Disappointment. And I feel like I do this a lot, especially with piano. You expect that you're going to make changes in a, you know, continually grow fashion. A linear fashion is like, yeah, every day you get a little bit better. 
And he says, that's, you expect that. And it's frustrating how it seems that you're doing all these things and nothing changes for weeks, even months. It feels like you're going nowhere. It's a hallmark of any compounding process. The most powerful outcomes are kind of delayed. He says, this is one of the main reasons why it's so hard to build habits that last. Because people make a few changes, they fail to see a big result, and they stop. And I think, oh, this is just so true with everybody. And he says you get in this mindset. You think, I've been running every day for a month, so why can't I see any change in my body? And once this kind of thinking takes over, it's easy to let good habits fall by the wayside. I think I'm going to add to his chapter, but I think one thing that we do is we think, oh, I've been running for a month. Why don't I notice a difference? We we don't, don't realize that we went three years doing nothing. And then our body kind of deteriorated in three years and we expect the changes to happen in one month Um, but he says in order to make a meaningful difference habits need to persist long enough to break through this plateau and he calls this the plateau of latent potential and I looked up latent latent means hidden so we have to keep persisting to break through this hidden potential that we have He says, if you find yourself struggling to build a good habit or break a bad one, it's not because you've lost your ability to improve. It's often because you haven't yet crossed the plateau of latent potential or hidden potential. Complaining about not achieving success despite working hard is like complaining about an ice cube not melting when you heated it from 25 to 31 degrees. Your work was not wasted. It's just being stored. All the action happens at 32 degrees. When you finally break through the plateau of latent potential or hidden potential, people call it an overnight success. Have you heard of that? Like, oh my heck, all of a sudden I'm just so successful. But it was all the little steps behind the scenes that we don't recognize. The outside world only sees the most dramatic event rather than all that preceded it. But you know that it's the work you did long ago when it seemed you weren't making any progress that makes the jump today possible. I have a student in my class. Her name is Emma. She's amazing. She accomplishes so much. She works so hard. And I think this is so typical Because all the kids see all of the accomplishments that she makes, but they don't see all the little things that she does day in and day out to achieve what she she achieves. And yet I'm seeing it. I see it as the teacher, the behind the scenes person. And I'm lucky enough that she sends me information and videos and of some of her progress. She'll send me a video of how she worked on a little couple of measures of a piece for 20 minutes and she says I'm so proud of myself the kids in the class don't see that and I think that's how it is in our world we see other people's successes and we don't see the work that went into those successes but honestly everybody that accomplishes something every single person goes through this hard work and determination and you know and we don't give up and so we need to recognize that in others and ourselves that we can't 
quit so quickly or so easily. Okay, so he says that this, um, this plateau of hidden potential is like the human equivalent of ge geological pressure. This is an interesting point. He says two tectonic plates can grind against one another for millions of years, millions of years, the tension slowly building all the while. Then one day, one day they rub each other the very same way in the same fashion that they've been doing for years and years and years, in fact millions, but this time the tension's too great and an earthquake erupts. Change can take years before it happens all at once. He says, mastery requires patience. Let's just repeat it. Mastery requires patience. The San Antonio Spurs, a very successful team in the NBA, have a quote from Jacob Reese, I think is how you say it, R-I-I-S, hanging in their locker room. When nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stone cutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not that last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. Isn't that an amazing quote? And if you remember, or if you've listened to the podcast, um, way early on, I read a book and it was one of the early books, but I don't remember which one. And the people are mining for gold, and they chip and chip and chip and chip and chip away, and they just chip for so long, and they they just are finding nothing, so they quit, they sell it to somebody else, and within a short little while, the, the next group, they find the gold, because it was just right there, right before they quit. So we can't quit. Um... And then he has a picture in his book where you expect the results to steadily climb. But he says, really, we have that valley of disappointment where our progress kind of dips. And then it goes up a lot higher than just the steady climb. And so we have to recognize that in reality, the results of our efforts are delayed and it's not until months or even years later that we realize the true value of the work that we have done in the past. And that the work isn't wasted, it's just being stored. And it's not until much later that the few full value of the previous efforts is revealed. And I feel like I'm kind of in that valley of disappointment with piano right now. I just want myself to be better and I one of my problems is I've looked at my students and I say, yeah, they're probably so much better and I've been practicing at it so much longer. And I just, I, I like tell myself that because I'm older, I can't learn it as fast, but I need to move past that valley of disappointment and I need to keep going and not give up because I can learn just like everybody else. It doesn't matter the age and I don't remember if I... Put this on the podcast but I'm sure I did but there was a man that we read we read about in school and he wrote a book at age 98 and he never knew how to read as a kid and as a young, as an adult he learned to read at a very old age and then he wrote a book so you know we can do things it doesn't matter our age 
So then in the book, he says, all big things come from small beginnings. The seed of every habit is a single tiny decision. But as that decision is repeated, a habit sprouts and grows stronger. Roots entrench themselves and branches grow. The task of breaking a bad habit is like uprooting a powerful oak within us. And the task of building a good habit is like cultivating a delicate flower one day at a time. But what determines whether we stick with a habit long enough to survive the plateau of latent potential and break through to the other side? What is it that causes some people to slide into unwanted habits and enables others to enjoy the compounding effects of good ones? He says <clears throat> we need to focus on our goal. He says focus on systems instead of goals. And he says how do we want to achieve what we want in life? Getting into better shape, building a, t a successful business, relaxing more, and worrying less, spending more time with friends and family is to set specific, actionable goals. He said, for so many years, this is how I approached my habits. Um, I, I set a goal, and I wanted to reach that goal. He said, I set goals for the grades I wanted to get in school, for the weights I wanted to lift in the gym, for the profits I wanted to earn in business. I succeeded at some, but I failed at a lot of them. Eventually, I began to realize that my results had very little to do with the goals I set and nearly everything to do with the systems I followed. So I've never heard this before. This is new to me. He said, what's the difference between systems and goals? It's a distinction I learned from Scott Adams in the Dilbert comic. Goals are about the results you want to achieve. Systems are about the process that lead to those results. So if you're a coach, you want to win the championship. Your system is the way you recruit players, manage your coaches, your assistant coaches, and conduct practice. If you're a business person, your goal might be to build a million-dollar business. Your system is how you test product ideas, hire employees, and run marketing campaigns. If you're a musician, your goal might be to play a new piece. Your system is how often you practice, how you break down and tackle difficult measures, and your method for receiving feedback from your instruction instructor. So I think this is so true, and my piano teacher has taught me this. Like, so often we with piano, like, I'll learn a song and I play the whole entire song, and I spend some of too much, too much of my practice time playing the parts that I already know because we don't want to do the hard stuff, right? I really need to just focus on the measures that are hard and really spend all of my practice time on those measures. But no, what do I do? I want to play the whole song. And then a lot of my time is spent practicing the parts that I already know. And so this is a system, right? And this is why we have teachers and coaches to help us. He says, now for the interesting question, if you completely ignored your goals and focused only on your system, would you still succeed? For example, if you were a coach, a basketball coach, and you're, you ignored your goal to win a championship and focused only on what your team does at practice each day, would you still get results? He says, I think you would. And after reading this and thinking about this, I agree with him. 
The goal in any sport is to finish with the best score, but it would be ridiculous to spend the whole game staring at the scoreboard. The only way to actually win is to get better each day. In the words of three-time Super Bowl winner Bill Walsh, the score takes care of itself. The same is true for areas of life. If you want better results, forget about setting goals and focus on your system instead. What do I mean by this? Are goals completely useless? Of course not. Goals are good for setting a direction, but systems are best for making progress. A handful of problems arise when you spend too much time thinking about your goals and not enough time designing your systems. Okay, so he's got three problems with goals, and I think it's really interesting. Problem one, winners and losers have the same goal. Isn't this true? Goal setting suffers from a serious case of survivorship bias. We concentrate on people who end up winning, the survivors, and we mistakenly assume that ambitious goals led to their success while overlooking all the people who had the same objective didn't succeed. Every Olympian wants to win a gold medal. Every candidate wants to get the job. And if successful and unsuccessful people share the same goals, then the goal then the goal cannot be what differentiates the winners from the losers, right? If we all have the goal we want to exceed or succeed. Why do some succeed and others don't? Because we haven't got the systems in place. We all want to win. He says, it wasn't the goal of winning the Tour de France that propelled the British cyclists to top the sport, to the top of the sport. Presumably, they wanted to win the race every year before. Just like every other professional team, the goal had always been there. It was only when they implemented a system of continuous small improvements that they achieved a different outcome. This is where I believe good coaches and good teachers come in. They implement the systems. They help you find the ways to do it. How come, you know, we have how come coaches are more successful than other coaches? Because they have they spend time implementing systems that work for teams. They don't they all have the goal, right? Every coach has the goal to win the Super Bowl or the NBA championship. But it's what they, the little things that they do, like the bicyclists did. Okay, problem number two. Achieving a goal is only a momentary change. He says, imagine you have a messy room and you set a goal to clean it. If you summon or get the energy up to clean up your room, you're going to have a clean room for now. But if you maintain the same sloppy pack rat habits that led to a messy room in the first place, Soon, you'll be looking at a new pile of clutter and hoping for another burst of motivation. You're left chasing, chasing the same outcome because you never changed the system behind it. You treated a symptom, symptom without addressing the cause. So you need to figure out things to keep the room clean, like I'm never going to put my shoes um, or drop my clothes on the floor anymore. I'm going to pick up my clothes. And you do one small thing at a time. He says, achieving a goal only changes your life for the moment. That's the thing about improvement. We think we need to change our results, but the results aren't the problems. What we really need to change are the systems that cause the results. When you solve problems at the results level, you only solve them temporarily. 
In order to improve for good, you need to solve problems at the sy symptoms level. Fix the inputs and the outputs will fix themselves. Okay, problem number three, he says. The implicit assumption behind any goal is this. Once I reach my goal, then I'm going to be happy. This is a problem with um, goals, is that we think that we're only going to be happy when we get the next milestone. And we all fall into that trap. I'm going to be happy once I get this. But um, he says, for years, happiness was always something for my future self to enjoy. I promised myself that once I gained 20 pounds for his you know, muscle build, or after my business was featured in the New York Times, I could finally relax. Furthermore, goals create an either-or conflict. Either you achieve your goal and you're successful, or you fail and you're a disappointment. You mentally box yourself into a narrow version of happiness. This is misguided. It's unlikely that your actual path through life will match the exact journey you had in mind when you set out. It makes no sense to restrict your satisfaction to one scenario when there are many paths to success. So you have to fall in love with the process rather than the product. You don't have to wait to give yourself permission to be happy. You can be satisfied anytime your system is running. Okay, problem number four. Goals are at odds with long-term process. So when you have goals in mind, you have a yo-yo effect. Like you work really hard for months, a runner, then they cross the finish line, they run the race, and then they stop training. There's no longer that goal to motivate them. So if, you're, if all your work is focused on a particular goal, then how are you gonna keep pushing forward? That's why you go back to an old bad habit. So really, we need to set systems in place so that we are committed to the process, not the product. So like, I need to be committed to practicing piano and learning to enjoy that, not, not just learning a particular piece, right? And then that system will lead to the results automatically. Um, he says, focusing on the overall system rather than a single goal is one of the core themes of this book. It's also one of the deeper meanings behind the word atomic. You know what? I didn't even think of when I thought, when I pull, pulled out this book and I first thought of it, I thought of powerful, atomic habits, powerful. I didn't even think of what the word atomic meant. Atomic, it refers to an atom, a very tiny, tiny little thing, right? He says, Atomic refers to a tiny change, a small gain, 1% improvement. Atomic habits are not just any old habits, however, they're small. They're little habits that are part of a larger system. Just as atoms are the building blocks of molecules, atomic habits are the building blocks of remarkable results. Habits are like the atoms of our lives. Each one is a fundamental unit that contributes to your overall improvement. At first, these tiny routines seem insignificant, but soon they build on each other and fuel bigger wins that multiply to a degree that far 
outweighs the cost of their initial investment. They are both small and mighty. This is the meaning of the phrase atomic habits, a regular practice or routine that is not only small and easy to do, but also the source of incredible power. So small and easy to do. So, wow, this chapter is so powerful. It's the little things that make a difference. And so I, I just, this, half of this chapter is just so powerful. So I hope you guys can just think about this, learn from it, and do the little things that make a difference in your lives. And I will see you on the next podcast. Have a great week, couple weeks, everybody.